Welcome to In Such Delinquicatl. This is a podcast about poetic thinking where we share a different perspective of the social world. Each episode, we take on a topic or a concept and we use the lens of philosophy, psychology, mythology, and literature to analyze the wonderful horrors of the modern world. For all of you new listeners and viewers, the podcast is named after, after a colloquium that took place in the 1400s before the arrival of the Spanish in Mexican shores. In this colloquium, titled In Xochitl in Cuicatl, the wise ones were called forth to discuss whether songs and flowers are a way of understanding what is true about the earth. Um, Today's episode is about the concept of intoxication. And we start with a verse by Shaya Kamach, one of the Tlamaltini, of these wise ones who attended the Insochitl in Cuicatl Colloquium, and extrapolate uh, to the meaningfulness of letting go by being intoxicated by poetry and beauty. And so here is the verse. All of you have come from there where the flowers are standing, those flowers that derange people. You have come to bring showers of flower garlands, those who inebriate. So, the symbol of the flower in Nahuatl refers to poetry. And so to say that there are flowers that make people crazy and that intoxicate people means that poetry or the, po the poetry of life can be intoxicating. One of the academics that has studied this colloquium, his name is Cruz Alberto Gonzalez, describes poetry as intoxicating because it brings man outside of the self. And in this way, when, when one can go outside oneself and observe, that is the connection with the divine. So poetry allows the connection with the divine. This also reminds me, well, uh, it's, do you think it's related to the fact that, you know, going outside of oneself in order to meet the other that is outside of me, right? And how, what, what we were speaking about in the last episode, in the first episode, which is, and how this other can also tell me more about myself if I let myself um, start uh, dynamic with, with this other. Is it one, of the, one of the primordial experiences, and I think you'll, you'll very much agree with me, of, of, of the human being is to distinguish between the other and the self. And we can think in psychoanalytic terms, for example, Melanie Klein, Uh, which what to establish what is my boundary? Where do I end and where do I begin? Yeah. Um, and so, because we, because there is a limit to the self, and we are constantly encapsulated and in this bubble of me, 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 to be able to go inside oneself, and it's an experience that in itself can be divine, mystical, and intoxicating. This reminds me of the song of Amergin that Robert Graves quotes in his book, The White Goddess, which, uh, well, Robert Graves is a, a poet, an English poet of the 20th century. He fought um, at least in the First World War, at least. And well, he, um, he, 
he dedicated his work uh, to the to mythology, um, some of psychoanalytic interpretation of poetry as well, and well was himself a poet. And in this book called The White Goddess, uh, which is why the white goddess uh, historical grammar of poetic myth, what he says that all poetry, um, the core of poetry and poetic thinking is to reveal what, what we've said in the first episode as well, how I am also all of the other things that I am not, but they are living. So if you wouldn't mind, I would like to read a little bit of this because it, because it, it goes with it. So it goes like this. It's the song of Amergin, which is a Welsh song, I believe. Um, one of these um, ancient songs, and it starts like this. I am a stag of seven times. I am a flood across a plain. I am a wind on a deep lake. I am a tear the sun lets fall. I am a hawk above the cliff. I am a thorn beneath the nail. I am a wonder among flowers. I am a wizard. Who but I sets the cool head aflame with smoke? I am a womb. I am the womb of every holt. I am the blaze of every, on every hill. I am the queen of every hive. I am the shield for every head. I am the tomb of every hope. I think what is um, revealing about poems or uh, verses like this one is that they unconceal an aspect that is common to many cultures in terms of, uh, you know, there is a part, there, there is a part in, in, in spiritual or intellectual or emotional development where we grow by realizing the connection to everything else. And different cultures across the world have done this in different ways. And of course, one of the main um, criticisms of, of Western society, modern Western society and capitalist society is that we cannot see the connection. And that's why this is so relevant now during COVID because all of a sudden we realize that our freedom, our so-called freedom, and their so-called autonomy depends on everything else. And so that comes to as a shock to most yeah. of us Westerners. But in reality, it's a wisdom as old as the trees. Exactly. Which has to do with, with also well, the, um, the concept of harmony, how the one world vision view, which we will talk soon, maybe in another episode, uh, brings also the concept of harmony. Like if you, if you work with, if you realize this, um, how, we, how things are connected to one another, uh, you can live in harmony. Um, and that just as a concept, let alone uh, the, what happens when, when, when we put that concept into action is a whole other thing because... Well. Or, into, or when that concept itself gets put back into the capitalist uh, process and then it becomes a hashtag for yoga classes online. And so then it like that concept, it, like the, the meaning of that concept uh, is it gets destroyed through its... It becomes, I, I would think, I would say uh, from my 
theatrical um, school of thought, it becomes tyrannical, just like it can. So in, in the Western world, we have this very tyrannical way of the of youth hashtag and the social media, etc. And then if we look over all the way to China, well, we have the problem of actual absolute government. Right. And, you know, well, we, will, we won't dwell into this, uh, into this subject today. We will, we will now try to set course back into intoxication and how flowers are <laughs> involved in intoxication. Um, so we chose this verse basically because uh, this idea that um, flowers, that poetry itself can be intoxicating, the concept of intoxication can be a very interesting one because it overlaps with a lot of things. Not only will we go back in, 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 in history to look a little bit at Greece, at ancient Greece, but also the overlapping concepts of intoxication from drugs to sexuality uh, to religious experiences. So yes. maybe we'll start uh, again with a bit of historical context. Yes, we will travel to ancient Greece and Crete, which is even more ancient than Greece. And on the note of flowers uh, uh, that are in both the Shaya Kamach verse and in the Song of Amergin, I would like to read a little bit of the Homeric hymn to Demeter, which is the goddess of, um, of the seed of, of agriculture and whatnot. Um, and from this, from this verse uh, by Homer, I will then go back to flowers. Well, the verse is filled with flowers. So, so sings the poet. I begin to sing of Demeter, the holy goddess with the beautiful hair, and her daughter Persephone too, the one with the delicate ankles whom Hades seized. She was given away by Zeus, the loud thunderer, the one who sees far and wide. Demeter did not take part in this. She of the golden double axe, she who glories in the harvest. She, Persephone, was having a good time al along with the daughters of Oceanus, who wear their girdles slung low. She was picking flowers, roses, crocus, and beautiful violets. Up and down the soft meadow, iris blossoms, too, she picked, and hyacinth and the narcissus, which was, the, which was grown as a lure for the flower-faced girl. By Gaia, all according to the plan of Zeus, she, the earth Gaia, was doing a favor for the one who receives many guests. It, the Narcissus, was a wondrous thing in its splendor. To look at it gives a sense of holy awe to the immortal gods as well as mortal humans. It was a hundred heads growing from the root. Its sweet fragrance spread over the white skies above. And I will leave it there. Since now we have, well, we have all the elements that I needed, which is um, the two goddesses, which is the, the mother and the daughter. The daughter that is kidnapped uh, by uh, her uncle and her in cahoots with the father in a very traditional incestuous uh, myth. But what is, what is very important uh, of this myth and of this uh, hymn of Homer to, to this goddess is the presence of this hundred head 
Narcissus. This Narcissus was the reason why Persephone is able to be uh, kidnapped. So uh, she's taken by surprise with this Narcissus, which is a pathological Narcissus. I say pathological because it, it goes beyond the boundaries of a regular Narcissus. And she is, as, as uh, Homer says, uh, this flower, Narcissus, gives holy awe to both immortal and mortals. And, well, I would like to point out that the, probably the reason why this flower gives holy awe to immortals and mortals alike, it's because it's the root word for narcotics. Narcissus in Greek is narcicus. So what Persephone sees is that the, the, the earth opens up and this huge hundred head nar narcissus uh, is blossoms uh, in her presence. And she is in rapture with this holy awe. And this is the reason why she, kept, she gets to be kidnapped by Hades. She is in rapture by this. So this is one of the first points that uh, I find or I find very interesting in the topic of intoxication because um, in, in various religions, including Christianity, we read how in presence of divinity we, be, we are in rapture. And in origin with this, uh, what we should link it to is an experience of being intoxicated by something. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that um, in, in all of these worlds, there are worlds uh, that are influenced by passion. There are very passionate worlds. And pathology comes from the word passion, from pathos, the, the Greek word pathos, which means this, like, I am no longer, my, my boundaries, my, the limits can't hold me or, or limit me too much. You know, I feel like the loss I, of a boundary is the loss of a boundary, yes. which is exactly the same. Um, uh, uh, the, the comment that is made about the Shaya Kamach, uh, verse, which is yeah. the ability to go inside oneself is in itself intoxicating because it's the loss of the boundary. Exactly. The note of intoxication is very present in all of mystic traditions coming from shamanism and also in, in um, the cults surrounding um, agriculture, like the cult of Demeter, uh, which, it's uh, which are famously known, it's are the Eleusian mysteries, which were religious mysteries that their lifespan was about 2,000 years. And I find that very important, the fact that they were 2,000 years in lifespan, because that gives us a little perspective about our 2,000 years in Christianity and how if you are immersed in Christianity, you think 2,000 years is the way that this has been forever. And there are other uh, religious traditions that also have had this same lifespan of 2000, 2000 and some years. Um, anyway, well, in, in 
in both of these uh, different experiences, uh, either the shamanistic uh, path or the path of the initiate in this uh, bigger lodge uh, that, that is more traditional to the agriculture, um, agricultural groups um, in some thousand years ago. The, what, what is different from our regular religious dogma is that the initiate is the one that sees. Actually, in, in Eleusi, in, in the Illusion Mysteries, the, the initiate is called the mystis and then the epoptis. And those two words are linked to who he that sees something. And what does he sees? He, he sees, well, the revelation of what is the truth of why we are here of the how and why of of our it's not only human existence but all of 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 what is living and um well you can you can arrive to this to this uh epopteia to this vision by two manners either by fasting which is a uh, very strong tradition as well, by fasting, which is, I will not let anything inside, and whatever it is that I have already inside will come outside and connect mm -hmm. and bring out the intoxication. So it's you, you get intoxicated by what's already inside. And the second um, way is to actually let the other inside to let the other inside and that will set out a dynamic that will also um put you in the situation of of the revelation of whatever it is this has to reveal sorry so basically no just i'm just thinking about this like either through fasting or through um allowing the other or the strange inside so either by by stopping what normally goes inside right or by allowing more inside in within the boundary by, by breaking either of these dynamics is that then you establish connection with the divine or with the poetic or with a revelation right so you have to i i suppose kind of stop what is normal uh, the, the what you ingest normally in order to then connect to the otherness within you. You cannot connect to the otherness yes. within you with the regular by satisfying oh. your, your regular needs or with your daily needs. I would say it's not it's not even it's not a daily thing. Actually, in the illusion mysteries, one had to fast before letting the kikian before drinking the kikian which is the sacred drink which is of course consecrated to dionysus and every drink that is consecrated to dionysus we must see it as intoxicating inebriating he's the god of intoxication and inebriation not not of wine this is this is uh, one of the things that has that we know him now as the god of wine and beer and and drunk and and being drunk 
but it's it's a bit more complex because in this myth of these two goddess Demeter Persephone this is all about a mother teaching a daughter as well how to become a mother so the key point in the myth is also the birth of Dionysus uh, being mothered by Persephone there are various um, various versions of the births of all gods and divine creatures and but in in the theme of intoxication the or on this note the the one that is more uh, proper to use or to side with is the one where Persephone is the mother of Dionysus so Dionysus is completely linked also to the netherworld so this means that he is also a god not only of the feast but how the feast how the party is linked in the mysteries of life and death and um also i would like to to link these mysteries the Eleusian mysteries to uh to the Cretan world, which is previous to the Greeks. We actually know uh, of the Cretans by the Greeks and, and by the experience the, and the relations the Greeks had with the Cretan world. And in that, uh, on that uh, line um, that we're talking about Dionysus, Dionysus is also the protagonist of the most important myths of the Cretan world, which is the labyrinth. Dionysus is represented by the Minotaur in, as, as a previous symbol before becoming this, what we know as this god of, of, of inebriation and, and intoxication and, and whatnot. What, what I would like to point of the Cretan world and how this echoes in the Eleusian mysteries is that and and by to I will I will quote Karl Kerenji which is um, an expert in Greek in Greek religion and Greek myths which is the same religion and mythology and uh, he says the following in his book Dionysus archetypical image of indestructible life he says that in Crete, the human aspiration to timelessness was dismissed by surrendering to the grace of life in the most complete way the world has ever known. What I find interesting is that uh, these, the Cretan rites and feasts and their whole religious worldview is obsessed with life, with, what ha with, with life. There is no no, it's there's no uh, scatology in in their in their stream of thought they highlight life as a whole feast in that sense death is also part of life it's not something separate that will take you to another world which what scatology says and well for all of you that um, that are unfamiliar with the terms scatology um, Scatology is the, the concept of being um, preoccupied of the, of the end of times of the, or the end of things 
So the Egyptians have a very scatological mindset in their whole book of the dead, the preparation of the dead, so they can continue in a whole other world different of this. And this is also a tradition that is shared by Christianity. Oh, yeah. And we do not, the Christian world does not celebrate the realm of the living. And of here but and now. Opposite, there is, like, thou shall not live and enjoy, thou shall suffer. Exactly. And yourself and control yourself and no, no enjoyment. Your life will happen when you die. Right. If, if you are chosen to what go. What is more a negation of life than that? Your life well, will happen when you die. That's what Nietzsche constantly points out and why he hates Christian thought because he says that this annihilates life and that's why he wants to go back to the Dionysiac experience because right. the, the, Dionysian, the Dionysiac vision, what reveals is this is what matters is here and now. Whatever it is here and now that you are doing, that's, that's actually what is allegedly revealed in the Eleusian mysteries. The initiate will, would, would, would prepare himself, uh, and I won't go into the details of what this preparation entailed. So he would, the initiate would have to go through a huge preparation before entering the omphalos. The omphalos is the center of the temple, which means uh, um, the belly. The belly, the belly button, which is which the navel, belly the navel, the navel. Yeah. So that's that's how important these mysteries were to these people. They thought that center of the temple was the navel of the world, and that's actually one of the phrases we constantly use in Spanish. Like, you think you are the navel of the world, you think the world revolves around you because you are the belly button of the world. Sarah, your navel. Sarah, yeah. Staring at the navel, yeah. So, so well, in the, in the navel of the temple, which they thought was the navel of the whole world, they would then drink this potion that was basically, um, well, poisonous because it had a lot of stuff, which, in, which include in, in this, in, in the beverage, it included flowers and plants as well as the claviceps purpurea. So this beverage, uh, which was basically poisonous, would represent in would would take the body of the initiate into torturous uh, into a torturous experience, hurt, cramps, vomit, which is also what happens with peyote and ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, yeah. part, part of a cleansing process again is like to to kind of play with the boundaries of what's inside and outside the body in order exactly. to welcome other that's, the, that's why they say in the modern in, in 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 the modern experience of going to take peyote or something that you should fast a little bit or you should this or that because otherwise this representation this this rehearsal of death will be worse because that's that's what that's what we should think this this experience was to go near a death experience in order to be reborn 
death of the uh, near death experience, but I think more related to the death of the self for a mo for if if for a small period of time, right? So it's yeah. to, to experience the 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 disconnect of the ego in order to experience something else. Yeah, and this is this what you're saying is very important because it it will it will highlight in a little bit why Dionysus is the god that brings kindness to humanity. He's also labeled like this because well, and usually they say, well, it's because of the wine and whatnot. Wine makes you happy and wine makes you sociable. It, it has more to do with, um, with this, with the death of the self, the surrendering of the ego and the, and allow, and the allowance of, of oneself to start a dynamic, a different dynamic with the other in, in a, in, in a social, um, setting World. we'll go back to to william james um shortly but just on what you're saying um william james who is a psychologist and philosopher from the 19th century uh, he talks about intoxication through alcohol and what basically he says is that drunkenness so intoxication i mean it can happen again ayahuasca peyote mushrooms choose your poison uh but he just talks specifically about alcohol because maybe he hadn't tried anything else. Um, being the good religious man that he was, he only could drink the blood of Christ. So drunkenness, he says, expands, um, unifies, and says yes. So he he describes the, the experience of drunkenness as allow, like as as affirming, as life affirming in a way. Uh, as exciting what he calls the yes function in man. And this yes function doesn't just mean yes to socializing, yes to flirting with someone, yes to dancing, but it means yes to letting go of my reservations, of my inhibitions, which now, of course, in modern society, we can't just be like, hey, let go of all your inhibitions because that's why it is society, because there's an order to it. But there's an aspect of drunkenness and of intoxication that appeals to people because then yeah. you forget the limits. Yeah, and well, we will go back to this again, how, how this, this same how can lead to very different, uh, this, this same, um, well, cause can bring very different effects. It can give you a good trip or it can give you a bad trip this same realization, this same method or whatever, the same experience can set you up in two different worlds. In, in this sense, I would actually uh, add that William James and most, uh, you, the whole Western European tradition only drinks because Christianity was victorious over uh, all the pagan traditions before. Right. So, it's famously known that the that the early Roman Christians uh, banned, like the Roman Empire banned all uh, night gatherings, and the Eleusis mysteries were famously because uh, famously for being in the night. They were they were it took place on the twenty seventh of September, sort of, and they were famous for making the day dawn in midnight. 
for bringing light into midnight. And we must think that this light that they're talking about, of course, it should be represented by a huge bonfire where we're all going to dance and probably engage in orgiastic experiences and whatnot, but it also means the light inside all of us, that we now understand the why and how of myself. Because the, anecdotally, what, what the metaphor of these mysteries wanted to, to mark was the travel, the, the trip that the seed, the seed, the seed of the earth, the seed makes when when it's when it's um, well planted. So for them, the seed was planted, but it didn't stay there. It would go down to the netherworld, to the underworld, and have an interview with the goddess Persephone. And after seeing Persephone and being in this relationship with her, they would know what, why. We are here and doing what we're doing. So now the seed would, could come up and blossom. Before that, you, if you didn't understand, you would just rot. And that's also very important because, uh, well, the, the fungus, the, the world of fungi is, is this very uh, love, like very liminal, thing where it's rotting but it's alive you know so it's it's very linked to this to the fact that we all rot when we die and that rotness will give life so calm down you will live forever in the flowers of the garden of your family and you will live happily in this life if you responsibly know what seed you are and what are your blossoming to. So, and just to finish with this mythical part of the podcast, um, Dionysus is also famously known for being the twice born. Mm -hmm. So he's born once and then he's always born twice because he's born once and then they kill him, either the Titans or Hera's wrath by Zeus, but the one that that will would will be interesting for us is the one with the Titans, and then I will close the mythical world, which is in in the story in the myth where he is killed by he's eaten by the Titans, he's dismembered, which is another very important image in in the in the ancient world that dismemberment of the chosen one um, or the passion of the chosen one, which is like the passion of Christ. Uh, he, he's dismembered and then eaten by the Titans, which are um, some sort of relatives of his. And Zeus is enraged by this action. So he fulminates with his powerful um, race, uh, the Titans, and humanity, humanity is born from the ashes of the Titans and Dionysus. Zeus recovers the heart of Dionysus, puts, him, puts it in his, in his um, thigh, 
which is uh, it, which is the biggest muscle, which is filled with vitality. He puts it in his eye and then he will be born again by it. But what's important is that humanity has both things. We are both Titans and Dionysiacs. We're both Titanic and Dionysiac. And according to this myth, what humanity has to realize and has to overcome, it's our tyrannical impulses of eating the other when the other We are is not, not overcoming that at the moment. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> We're going the other way. Dionysus, yeah. Dionysus yeah, is not at the forefront of the uh, electoral campaign in the US. <laughs> No, he's, he's left the building. Dionysus has left the building uh, a while ago. I would actually say Dionysus our party come back. Come yeah, back, Dionysus, come back. <laughs> um, so, even though uh, the drunken Catholics are not very into Dionysus, that doesn't mean they do not understand intoxication. And so that's where uh, enter William James. As I said a bit earlier, he was a philosopher and psychologist. He wrote what uh, the book called The Varieties of... Well, he didn't write, sorry. It's a compilation of his lectures from 1901 and 1902. Uh, he used to teach at the University of Edinburgh. Um, and the book is called The Varieties of Religious Experience. And so The Varieties of Religious Experience is a broad account of religious experience. Religious experience, and religious experience as you can imagine, overlaps with mystical uh, with mystical experiences, with the mysticism uh, that Andrea is talking about. Um, and he actually subcategorizes mystical experience as part of religious experience. Uh, so, in the way that he describes mystical experience, uh, he t talks a little bit about this uh, the experience itself taking possession of mind and body. So instead of just being um, kind of like a prayer, uh, going to mass experience, this is quite different from that. And so he interviews and uh, goes back to look in, into the accounts of saints in particular, or extremely religious people, and to, to look into how they described these this visitations, right, or these visions. Um, and so one of the things that, that, in the way that he describes these mystical experiences, is that there is an obliteration of space and time, um, of, of normal or regular sensation, and of experiences that we qualify as ourselves. So just like um, we were talking about in terms of intoxication through the loss of a boundary or through the play with the boundary of the self, the, the accounts of mystical religious experience in William James of like nuns and uh, saintly priests is also the, the, the interruption the of, of what we understand as the self. And also he starts talking about these experiences as, as a feeling of dissolution. Um, there is a crossover, or actually inspired by William James, we'll see a little bit later on in the 20th century with Abraham Maslow, the mm -hmm. description of peak experiences, which again, he, he, he takes these concepts again of obliteration of time and space to describe peak experiences, but in a secular way. But I'm not going 
there just yet. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that William James uh, talks about is this overlap with pathology. Mystical overlaps with deep pathology because is the loss of the boundary. So if you think of schizophrenia um, or uh, other uh, severe psychological disorders where there is a deconstruction of where the self ends and begins, it's funny, kind of, in a funny, not funny way, that being in touch with God is the same or, it, or is very similar to being crazy. So this being crazy or being in touch with God exemplifies this, uh, what Andrea had already mentioned about intoxication can be a good trip or a bad trip. Uh, intoxication with drugs or intoxication uh, by letting the other or they have these mystical experiences, it can go well and you can, they can reveal the truth about the world, your world, or they can be completely terrifying. I would like to give an example of this good trip, bad trip, and the, the relationship between insanity or being in, uh, touched by God. That uh, for the Greeks, for instance, it's the same thing. It just depends what God you're being touched by. It's what they called mania which is, uh, well, mania, which is mania, which is, and mania means I am in God, or God is in me, uh, which is the state of, of being that the, that, the, that, the, that the women consecrated to Dionysus were famously in to be able to dismember a bull, for instance. Uh, it's this, this kind of intoxication also breaks boundaries, boundaries even in what you thought you could do because the 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 bacons were famously known for dismembering bulls but without without technology outside their hands and this ma maniac state they, that we're in and um another example is heracles in the tragedy of heracles euripides uh, puts Heracles in a very resentful mode. He's very resent, uh, he's resented as at his mortal father and wishes he was only the son of Zeus and whatnot. Yes, he's touched by the goddess of madness out of vengeance of, for another goddess who is constantly on his back, which is Hera, from, from whence the name Heracles comes from. And what is very interesting is that in, in the translation or in the original text, what Euripides says is in, in the mouth of, of the mortal father of Heracles, which is Amphitryon or host in English, he says, what kind of bad trip are you in? You must, go to the, you must now go to hell and back to be well which is another very interesting thing. Uh, in order to be cured of madness in, in this Greek world, one should go to and 
set out to make a catabasis, which is a trip to the underworld, which is completely linked with disintoxication, seeing Persephone, and knowing who or what you are, and well, this, what your, but what your boundaries are. I just wanted to point that out, that it is not until Christianity has overcome most of the religious imaginary that we lose the fact that the other is always divine. Yeah. That this otherness is always divine. It's part and of the revelation that yeah. makes the wise wise. Yeah, it's right. even if it's demonic, even if it's the devil, the devil is also or would be also divine. That's why in, the, in Christianity, the devil must be exercised. Be. Yes, must be cast out, must be cast out. away, yeah. and not, uh, well, yeah, has to be cast away. It's not, it, 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 it mustn't be integrated in any form. It is not part of me in any form. And in other religious viewpoints, it, and that, it that's is. that's the bipolarity of the kind of, of, of Christian, of the Christian mindset, right? Is that we must push all that is thought as evil out of ourselves. And so in the attempt which is failed from the get-go, we become schizophrenic. This is, yeah. it's, it's, it's part of what, what both Freud and, and Jung say, that is, well, in different ways, Freud says we are more the caveman than we would want to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. And Jung says we are more a pagan than a Christian. And we are actually haunted by these, this pagan imagery that we feel it's wrong and should be cast out. But it's just the memory of before. Which even Which permeates secular society, right? Which permeates like this kind of... You know, it, there it, is no secular society. I would yeah, say yeah. there is no secular society constant polarization with different names. Um, so just to go back to the bad trip and the good trip, um, yeah. to the academic research on that. Um, in 1917, another philosopher, theologian, Rudolf Otto from Germany, wrote uh, the book, The Idea of the Holy, where he wanted to also research the experience of the divine. And so, He says, well, the divine, which is uh, quite uh, controversial for its time, the divine is not only related to God, and when it's not related to God and to religion, it's called the numinous. And the numinous is that realm outside of religion, and the numinous has two sides. The numinous can be mysterium tremendum mm -hmm. or mysterium fascinans from the Latin. And Mysterium Tremendum is horrifying, it is this awful, um, holy other, loss of self, intoxicated frenzy, but also ecstasy, sense of dissolving like you would experience in schizophrenic episodes. And Mysterium Fascinans is the other side of the same coin, but it's the awesome, awe-inspiring, fascinating also um feeling holy other this creature feeling that the that that you are small in comparison to the vastness of the universe 
So an experience like this, uh, he's the first one to start kind of hinting at the religious, at, at the non-religious aspect of this, which is, you know, if you're looking at the stars, you might feel that you are, that this planet is insignificant and that somehow that experience is awe-provoking. Yeah. Um, whereas the same experience might make someone feel horrified in cases, for example, of agoraphobia. So this Rudolf Otto William James is taken uh, as a basis for Abraham Maslow, uh, who, uh, if you ever heard of the hierarchy of needs, well, self-actualization is at the top. Maslow in the 60s says, okay, so we, I'm not going to call them religious or mystical experiences because that's, you know, hinting at God and why would we do that in the 60s? So he calls them peak experiences. Um, and basically, again, is they, they can happen through a variety of contexts from, I don't know, uh, going for a walk. Climbing a mountain. Climbing a mountain to music, to flow experiences of like uh, playing an instrument or uh, uh, witnessing a, a piece a work of art that you so admire or what have you. And uh, at around the same time, and I'm just gonna uh, cite the work of a woman, her name was Marganita Lasky, uh, all around the 60s, 70s, she did some research on ecstasy. Also trying to separate ecstasy from the religious. So whereas Maslow was doing peak experiences, uh, Rudolf Otto and William James had already spoken about ecstasy as something that, for example, um, Saint Teresa had described mm -hmm. in her experiences or, or, or her visions or visitations by God. So Lasky, Margarita Lasky says, um, no, ecstasy, I mean, ecstasy has a lot of, like has overlapping areas with other realms of human experience that are not just religious. Yeah. And so now we land on intoxication and loss of borders or boundaries through sexuality. So do we? We do because we <laughs> so we land through Saint Teresa who uh, describes like all her phraseology, her description of her her visitations by God are um, sexual, ecstatic, and, and, and the way she describes them are like you know she could be describing a sexual experience or an experience of uh, of intoxication through you know other substances, and you wouldn't know unless you knew it was yeah that's which which is. What what you just said, you wouldn't know unless you unless you knew or unless you know, which means you wouldn't know unless you're an initiate. You wouldn't know unless you've been through this before. And that's also what's very interesting because it's part of an ineffable process. Whatever it is revealed through these experiences, uh, call them what you will, uh, is something that is ineffable. Right. One, cannot really speak uh, or articulate it with 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 rational thought it's one of those things where you just when like you've experienced a very radical experience a near-death experience with someone in an accident or whatnot and then you talk about this 
again and you just look at at the person you share this experience with and in this look you might you might be closer to understanding that trying to articulate with a word because it's so far off the limits of ourselves it actually a thought process that reminds us that you are the tree you are your enemy you are you are not what you are this it's yeah. very moving I think. yeah the ineffability of it is also the, the way that it and that's also why it's so hard to study scientifically um, and why psychologists who have attempted to research these peak mystical experiences other than having uh, qualitative research uh, about it, uh, this kind of research has been relegated to what it's the field that it's called in psychology, transpersonal psychology, which is yeah. to go beyond the person, and that is really not mainstream. So just jumping back into sex and intoxication, and uh, we have, of course, Mr. Georges Bataille. He was a French philosopher who wrote Eroticism and Sensuality. And Eroticism and sensuality is, uh, you know, he takes a lot from psychoanalysis to talk about the experience of the erotic. Um, but there is a section in the book where he talks about the mystic, the mystical and the sexual. And again, he traces it back to the mystical and the sexual belong to the same domain because it has to do with a terrifying darkness. If you want to think about it in terms of the bad trip, that's one way. But also terrifying darkness comes in, in the terms of the erotic, is the loss of boundary, right? The loss of boundary physically, we can only understand it, most of us, only through, through sexual experience. Other, Actually, yeah. So, no, no, go on. I mean, unless you're stabbed. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or unless you give birth to a child, which involves a yeah. sexual experience. Exactly. Right? It's yeah. that the break, the break of the membrane that holds me together. Um, so he uh, looks into um, an account of this priest. His name is Father Bernard, Bernard a French priest. I can't really pronounce French very well. Um, and this priest says that sex expresses the union between humanity and the ineffable Godhead. But the reason why it does that is because sex possesses in human experience what the sacred event cannot have. So I think when, what he's getting at is that sex allows for the physical experience of the breaking of a membrane that allows the other in that cannot be fully fulfilled in religious experience. And to say that, it's quite wild. This is, this is very wild, but it's also an ancient thesis because in the early rehearsals or the early attempts of organized religion or of, of organizing ourselves as a society, uh, the, the, the reason behind the orgiastic um, rites was to do as the, as the earth does. So if we all merge in this 
if we all embody fertility, for instance, if we all embody fertility, which means, okay, we planted the seeds in the morning and then at four o'clock we're going to meet and we're going to do a huge orgy because we must embody fertility. That is something bigger than us. Not only, not only to have kids ourselves, but if we engage in this act, we will of imitating we will nature a cycle huh yeah, yeah and i was just yeah. gonna say that as well because and it's exactly what you what you said this connection with the earthly reality right and that that this priest father bernard talks about it like this transcendental union is connected to the horror which is kind of what you were talking about eleusis uh, yeah. mysteries of the seed going down into the netherworld, it's kind of the same. That is like the, the, the sexual experience has the ability to connect us to darkness, to this, to this earthy, earthly aspect of ourselves that religion sometimes tries to pull away from. There is an aspect to sex that, that, that is very carnal and very connected to nature in a way that we don't want to be. In a way that in the, yeah. in the progressive, quote-unquote, industrialized, quote-unquote, uh, you know, modern world that we've created, sex brings you back to earth in a and way that is not within the, the control, within your control, within anybody's control. Right. And that is the horror of sex in a way. But it's also and the this, of this it. is very interesting because this becomes horrific. I I think that this becomes more horrific when society becomes even more obsessed with our own identity. Yeah. You know, before this is what um and this is part of, of what is what what dwells in the Cretan world, which is that is sort of the last splendor, quote unquote, of humanity where the anthropos wasn't in the center, but was part of this whole, I mean, beside the dealing of human sacrifice and whatnot, but it was, uh, it, it had a more whole uh, um, relationship with the other and oneself. And our obsession with identity well you don't wanna yeah you don't wanna have sex under these circumstances because my identity that i have built with all my willpower does not allow me to want to have sex with you for instance i shouldn't or in this particular way or in, or in this, particular, this way. particular manner because then that doesn't that doesn't comply to the to the persona that I created, that I think I am. Yeah. And, and in, in, in the difference between these orgiastic rites, for instance, is that the functionality, we must do this in order for this to function. It is part of our function. It is part of the great chain of being and our actions that we must do in order to this keep moving. We must do as nature does. We must engage ourselves in the other this way. And just to, uh, I, I also think that's why 
orgies are not so popular these days because <laughs> I mean they are, you just don't know <laughs> well I've, I've been invited to oh, just, very good. I'm sure uh, that people have organized orgies during the pandemic because it's a response to the limitation of freedom but I don't think it's a response I don't think it's an invitation to the earthly horrors I think it's that's just my, that's my point to you're telling me not to do this, therefore I'm going to do it. It's a very yeah, that's my orgy. It's no, you know, it it's the sense. It's completely different. the The meaning behind it's completely different. This is a reactive thing of oh, you're you're telling me I shouldn't be in orgies, then I'm gonna be in orgies. Different in the the very different mindset of the ancient world is this is the meaning behind it all. I must, I must do this. It, it's filled with meaning. Now, it's not so filled with meaning. And I'm not, I'm not saying this as a good or bad thing. It's just what I think it happens. Like the meaning behind, it's just actually more of a, so you've been in orgies, right? How are they? Yeah, it's more like a yeah. a, a show thing. It's, it's more the part profile of, that you have of yourself. Exactly. Not Not a cosmic viewpoint of we must all uh, engage in this. And just to finish with this orgies parenthesis, fun fact. The children that were conceived in these uh, orgiastic rites were famously known as being the sons or daughters of the gods. So there's where we have a good, a good uh, source of why in mythology we have a lot of mortals that are son of Zeus, son of Mars, son of Demeter, because in, in these rites, all of us were touched by God and we're in a maniacal state uh, engaging in this rapture that means the falling of our boundaries. And just as we are not inviting you to go to an orgy, we're also not inviting you to do drugs, but mm -hmm. drugs are also an interesting overlap uh, or an obvious overlap with intoxication. Um, and we've already mentioned alcohol, we've mentioned peyote, ayahuasca, this kind of, um, uh, you know, in Brazil, Peru, uh, there's plenty of videos out there from Vice that you can watch about peyote and ayahuasca and the journeys you can make to find yourself in the Amazon and all that comes with that, all that tourist industry of um, intoxication. Um, but just... No business. Show business, yes. Um, but just as there is that, and everybody knows about it now, uh, there is also, which you, you would also know about, is Maria Sabina. Maria Sabina was a Mazateca woman from Huautla, Puebla, that's Mexico. And she became famously known in the 60s. Um, after she became popularized, um, or she became popular amongst uh, the 60s hippie circles, um, there was a book published by the chants that she said or that she... Um, chanted. That, that she chanted, that she sang while she was preparing the rites to take mushrooms. And so uh, I think that these chants 
quite well exemplify again this unity with everything. Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit of one of them. Um, I'm going to skip the, the, the part in the middle just because I think that is just the first and the last part that convey best this unity. So uh, this is one of our chants. Because you gave me your clock, because you gave me your thought, because I'm a clean woman, because I am cross star woman, because I am a woman who flies, I am the sacred eagle woman says, I am the Lord eagle woman says, I am the lady who swims says. I am the woman book that is beneath the water says, I am the woman of the populous town says, I am the shepherdess who is beneath the water says, I am the woman who shepherds the immense says, I am the shepherdess and I come with my shepherd says, because everything has its origin and I come going from place to place from the origin. So this kind of like lack of clarity of where you come or what you are, you're the shepherdess, you're here's the shepherd, the origin, the, are you, it, this whole thing kind of, I think, very well represents the unity of it all and the ambiguity of what is what. And that- yeah. No, I'm sorry, what you just said, ambiguity, I, I, I would say that that is, part, that is a key thing, that um, I don't know when or where did it sort of start. Well, Nietzsche would say that it has a lot to do with Christianity, but um, humanity has, it's very hard for us at the present time and for a couple of hundred years past as well to, to engage in ambiguous in images, concepts, situations. We do not enjoy ambivalence. No. Well, it's what, it's what uh, Melanie Klein says in, in her separation of the two positions that allegedly the, the, person will 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 grow into which is one the schizoparanoid position or the or the or the depressed the, the being depressed position what she says is there are two kinds of people one that goes about its way as a as a schizophrenic paranoid person that means that if you are not with me you are against me and hello uh, 2020 yeah, contrary and, and all mass uh, mobilizations. Sure. Contrary to which we've had a lot in 2020, even though we've had, well, yes, 2020. And the, 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 the depressed position, which is neither of them is good or bad, it's just what it is. And the depressed position means a tendency to do of depression in the self because one knows that both the good breast and the bad breast belong to the same person. The good breast and the bad breast for our listeners and viewers is the uh, main concept of Melanie Klein's object relations theory, which um, she poses this period before what Freud, what the, the stages that Freud identified as genital, anal, oral. She, she goes even further, further back. Back. And, and she talks says, about the relationship of the baby of the infant with the breasts with the, with with the breast. breast of the mother and there's a good breast and there's a bad breast and they are all the same 
and yeah, that, and, and that, that revelation, which is awe inspiring, will either, well, I mean, will, will set you in a sort of depressed mode always because you always know that even though you love someone, that doesn't mean that sometimes you don't like them or that someone that you love can hurt you in general. And that's being able to consider ambivalence consider the the ambiguity in the other and in me and that is a very complex mature uh, stream of thought according to psychoanalytic terms and i would believe and i would i would say that we are failing on that one and we are becoming more and more schizophrenic paranoid and in that depressive note we are going to invite Socrates back. Yeah, well, in. We haven't talked about him, but we, we will invite him in. He's always this, invited. Well, is he? Is he always invited? I guess he is. I guess he's okay. He's always part of conversation. Yes, yes. Uh, I won't go schizophrenic paranoid about it. Um, <laughs> for Socrates, I would like to just finishing something that I started before, which is when when the Roman Empire bans all, um, all celebrations in the night, which are mainly pointed at the Aleutian mysteries, also um, that sets, that's the beginning of a mycophobic phase in Europe. So Europe was, uh, as, as Christianity um, bathes Europe, the people in Europe stop engaging in the harvest of mushrooms or start, or start being very afraid of mushrooms because they derange you. And this, this deranged experiences must be linked with this manichaeism that, is, um, that Christianity embodies, which is there's black, there's white, there's good, there's evil, and so any funky experience would be, would be part of the demonic and you wouldn't want to be part of it. And then when the Spanish come to Mexico, uh, that, that phobia helped that this tradition, that the tradition in, in Mexico of the mushrooms and the sacred plants was able to keep on going and to not, and to, well, to, to not die because the tradition was already marked by secret. So if you were going to take mushrooms or engage in this rites, you, you, you're not supposed to talk about it that much. And the shaman, which is like Maria Sabina, would be in charge of it. And it's just your experience. You don't go around saying, oh, I just ate some mushrooms to ask about my family. And that's what they said. No, you don't. You speak actually in a very low voice to them because they're sin. Sin and sin in Nahuatl means the small. So the mushroom, the magic mushroom, it's called the small one that um the small one that blossoms this is interesting because in greece all of the hills that are consecrated to dionysus are famously consecrated by dionysus after they've received lightning and magic mushrooms come from earth that received lightning 
so yeah so that, that's a, a huge linkage of this what we've talked about in the previous episode as well of this not only parallel between cultures but what joseph campbell which is a, a an archetypical psychologist uh psychoanalyst um of the 20th century he's famous for the um, the hero of a thousand faces uh, he, most famously for but that's his thesis his thesis is there is this archetypical memory that binds us all together and in these two images of the scene of the magic mushroom that uh, I think it's it's very eloquent it's a very eloquent image okay um I will now invite Socrates in uh, he's famous for not for inviting his disciples not to go to theater because theater is for the foley and but what i find very interesting is that well to begin with theater um the origin of theater we must also link it to the illusion mysteries in a way because what theater what the, the what the what the vision of theater which is the teamata wants to bring to the table it's sort of um a well, not secular because the theater feast was inside this religious feast for Dionysus, but theater was sort of a way to translate the vision that the initiates would have in Eleusis for all of the Greeks, not only the few initiates that could make it to the omphalos every year, but to make this this no this um, this truth to be known by by all through theater, and that is also why Dionysus is so linked to to the rite of theater. Socrates was famously known for, as I said. Uh, inviting his disciples to stay out of the theater and also out of nature, that he was an animal of the polis, a political animal, and that here in the polis, in the city, was where was everything that he needed to learn something. But what, what I find funny and also Nietzsche finds very interesting in The Birth of Tragedy is that the only way that he's able to transcend is through Plato's dialogues. And a dialogue is a dramatic setting. So what I find interesting is that the, this, what still prevails or what, or what, is, what, is, what is able to, to transcend in terms of intoxication, even without the the the, ta the, the being actual intoxicated and in and in other state of consciousness, is that what the teacher needs or wants its goal in in the Socratic dialogue is to go inside the disciple, to to so the disciple must allow the other to come in and this new thought, move around yourself, and this thing, this idea, to use more platonic terms, this idea to come inside and 
and and move me and make me different because this is that's part of of the lesson that archetypically the seed would learn i go down to hell now i know what i am what i must do and i come out and i come outside different transformed and that philosophy is meant to do to take exactly. over uh the uh, preconception or the understanding of something about reality and transform it into i don't know potentially something better not necessarily but, but yes. one must, but, what i find interesting is this dynamic that one must allow the other inside when one and in that sense well conversing and dialogue with with the other is it's not something that you can just do lightly i don't think because most of the time we are married with our identity and with what we think we are and what we want to be and to actually change our minds or be able to change our minds and in that way change ourselves we must uh part from uh from um from allowing ourselves to do so to, to be intoxicated i should add that um part of the idea of this podcast as well is uh to be if, well intoxicated by thought and poetry and flower and the other in general and we welcome your criticism uh we also if you have positive feedback we also welcome your positive feedback but we are also quite interested in uh, establishing a dialogue with those of you who disagree with us because there is not there's it, that's more interesting in some ways um yeah passion, us, it's a passion setter when someone doesn't agree with you <laughs> right so in that in in the spirit of passion and intoxication uh, thank you for joining us today you can find us on instagram you can find us on youtube you can find us on spotify Uh, we are in Xochitlincuicatl. My name is Andrea Martinez. My name is Andrea Padilla. I will see you in episode three.